0: to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 as we are continuing our studies in the life of Christ and our particular topic right now is the prayer life of Jesus and last week we started with starting in prayer. Well, that's a good place to start at the beginning and Jesus last week started his ministry in prayer. This morning we're going to look at solitary prayer Jesus finds a place where he could go and get away from the hustle and bustle of the crowd and the people and spend that needed time with God. We're going to look at Mark 1 verses 35 through 39. So let's read 35 through 39 and then we'll go through them verse by verse. And it reads, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. So the one thing about this prayer Is that it's in a solitary place. The word solitary being the key point and the character Jesus showed here on this occasion of his praying is found in the words having risen a long while before daylight. He got up super early in the morning to spend that time in prayer. Jesus shows us here in his example a serious Attitude about prayer. Nobody will do much praying or much of anything worthwhile if there's no sincere commitment involved in the action. We talk a lot about prayer, but if there's no sincere action in what we talk about, it's not going to accomplish much. We all know how hard it is to get up before the sun rises. And I remember uh, Dr. Alan Redpath talked about prayer. And having this early time with, the God, with God. And he said, we need to pray for victory. He said, we need to pray for blanket victory. So get up till we can get up from underneath them. And uh, it is a, a prayer that we need all to pray is to get that blanket victory. Because uh, it is hard to get out from underneath those blankets. But again, uh, this time had to be especially hard for Jesus. Getting up this early. Because, you see, the day before, which was the Sabbath day, Jesus had a busy day. I mean, he had a busy day every day, but this one was busier than usual. Because it was the day that he taught in the synagogue. It was the Sabbath day. He had cast out a demon in a man in the synagogue service. He had healed Peter's mother-in-law. But in the evening, he ministered a long time, healing the sick and casting out more demons. You would think, well, I would think... (laughs) After a day like this, I'm taking the day off. Or, you know, I'm sleeping in tomorrow because I had a busy day. But not Jesus. He got up extra early the next day just so he could pray. Because, you see, Jesus had a serious mindset when it came to praying. Matthew Henry said in this exhortation, taking into consideration... This, this situation. He said, when a Sabbath day is over and past, we must not think that we may discontinue our devotion till the next Sabbath. No, though we go not to the synagogue, we must go to the throne of grace every day of the week. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not wrong to rest after a hard day of work. Jesus even urged his disciples at times to take some time to rest. And in Mark 6, 31, Jesus said to his disciples, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. But there are times when we have to give up our rest or eating or whatever it might be uh, for spiritual work, for the work of the ministry or for prayer. We read in Mark 3, verses 20 through 21, it says, then the multitude came together again so that they, that is the disciples, could not so much as eat bread. The disciples at one point, you know, more than once, uh, you know, they were busy ministering and long into the day, a lot of people, a lot of things that needed to get done, and they didn't get to eat. You know, they had to miss a meal or eat later on. After Jesus entered a house in Capernaum, there was such a large crowd that demanded his attention that he and his disciples, like I said, they didn't have time to eat. Now, if we're going to have a serious mindset about spiritual matters, Rest will sometimes have to take a backseat to the spiritual things. Sometimes spiritual duties are so important that physical rest has to be set aside for the time being. You know, it's like, you know, maybe, you know, right at, right at lunchtime and especially in ministry, you know, you're, you're getting ready to go for lunch and somebody comes in for prayer and you're going, well, oh, you know what, could you come back in an hour or, you know, it's lunchtime and, and, you know, and, you know, I haven't eaten or, you know, somebody's coming and they're really down and out and say, hey, well, you know, can you come back? That person may not come back. That moment might have been the moment they needed to speak to you the most. You don't know what desperate straits they're in. You don't know what heart they're in. You don't know what mindset they're in. When they come in to talk to you, and the last thing they want to hear or need to hear is, you know what, can you come back? God forbid they go out and they say, you know, I'm done. I couldn't even get help at the church. And they commit suicide. And I've heard these stories through the years, where they've gone out and done something drastic. They made a really bad decision because they 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 weren't able to to, to talk to somebody or, or to meet that. Because you know what, my flesh is. I got to go eat, man, or I'm tired, or I haven't been, whatever it might be. And this is the point that's that's so important to understand here, is that. There are times when we just have to put ourselves, our weaknesses, if you will, our flesh on the back burner and and do the work of God. So again, sometimes spiritual duties, like I said, are so important that that we have to put our physical needs aside. This time of prayer by Jesus was one of those times when spiritual work or spiritual priority took over resting of the body. This prayer time deals with another area that needed refreshment in Jesus' life. Jesus not only needed physical refreshment from the previous day's work, but he also needed spiritual refreshment from all the spiritual energy used up the day before. He would be refreshed spiritually through praying. When we've used up a lot of energy spiritually, like Jesus did on the previous day, you need to be refreshed spiritually, just like you need to be refreshed physically uh, after using up a lot of physical energy. And because of all the work that Jesus did the day before, he would need both physical and spiritual refreshing. And Jesus wisely gave the spiritual need priority over the physical need. Now, man, this is hard on our flesh, isn't it? The flesh always protests being inconvenienced or bothered when it comes to doing spiritual things. You know, it's like, God, don't you, know that, don't you know where I'm at right now? This is not good timing, Lord. Oh, God knows everything. And we need to be sensitive to the Lord. And yet a lot of people, myself, included, <clears throat> boy, I'll give up physical rest to do something that I'm looking forward to doing. You know, people will pursue secular things and business and pleasure, you know, and give up physical rest more than they will for spiritual things. If we can give up rest for the secular things, the pleasures of life, how much more should we skip rest to take care of our spiritual needs? If we're going to succeed spiritually, we need to make prayer a spiritual priority. Now, the time that Jesus got up to pray was around 3 to 4 a.m. in the morning. 3 or 4 a.m. E.M. Bounds said this, The men who have done the most for God in this world, and women too, the men or women who have done most for God in this world have been early on their knees. Listen to these examples. Matthew Henry would be in his study from 4 to 8 a.m. Then, after breakfast and family prayers, he'd go back to his study for several hours. Edward Payson, this man, wore grooves in the hardwood floor from kneeling so often and so long in prayer. The Marquis de Rente ordered his servant to call him from his devotions at the end of half an hour. The servant at the time saw his face through an opening in the door. It was marked with such holiness that he hated to arouse him. His lips were moving, but he was perfectly silent. The servant waited until three hours had passed, and then he called him. He arose from his knees saying that the half hour was so short When he was communing with God. Earl Carnes got up every day at 6 a.m. to spend an hour and a half in Bible study and prayer before conducting family worship at 7.45 a.m. Dr. Judson devoted two to three hours every day, not just to devotional exercises, but to the very act of secret prayer and communion with God. We read of Moses in Exodus 34, two through four. God said to Moses, be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of Mount Sinai. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord commanded him. Psalm 53, the psalmist said, my voice you shall hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning, I will direct, to you, direct it to you. The psalmist said in Psalm fifty-five, seventeen: "Evening and morning, and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud." In Joshua, we read several times that Joshua rose early in the morning, and most likely it was to pray. Even though morning prayer is usually a good habit and can and should be practiced by most people, it's not always something that people can do because they might work a different schedule. It might not be practical to get up early in the morning to pray, especially if you work at a night shift and you're coming home in the morning. But those who sleep in the morning, uh, I'm sorry, but those who, who, who sleep in the day and work at night, they can show the same early spirit, not by praying in the morning, but by praying early in their schedule. That is, and early before they start their activities. So if you can't have the normal time early in the morning, make sure you have it early based on your schedule, whatever that might be. But for most people, the early morning should be filled with prayer, you know, if their attitude is right. Why early in the morning? Well, isn't it at the time you hit the bed and the pillow when you start reading that you start nodding out? And before you read one or two chapters, I'm not even name a chapter, one or two verses or, or a paragraph, you're not at you. Nodding, oh, I can't, and you fold it up and you put it back. That's why, early, when you're rested and, and, and just getting ready to start the day, is the best time to go to God in prayer. Starting the day by praying and being alone with God, that is, and in His Word, that's the best way to start the day. Because if you don't start praying early in the day, there probably won't be much praying throughout the day. And if you don't start your day with prayer, guess what? The devil is going to have the rest of the day. Expect defeat. Those who stand out, those or would stand out spiritually, see that it's necessary to separate themselves from both people and places, noise and distractions at times, in order to take care of the spiritual duties. Remember those, well, I do anyway, who excelled in school and especially high school, those who were on the honor roll, they always had a bunch of books in their hands. They they usually weren't in any sports, and we always referred to them, or me anyway, I can't remember really anybody, no. geeks and nerds, and in my day, they were squirrels, but... Uh, they were usually alone. They didn't do a lot of things or have a lot of f- friends. But then when I saw them after high school, I went, "Well, I wish I'd have been a squirrel." You know, they had you know they had an education. They had a great career, and and it's because you know what they gave up a lot to do what needed to be done. And when you're going to school, it's to get an education. You know. Not like a lot of things that we think is for other things, but again, it's for getting an education. So again, those who want to excel in anything, but particularly spiritually, will often have to separate themselves from a lot of things in order to take care of their spiritual duties and interests. This separation in the life of Christ in our passage here is seen in the words mentioned in verse 35. It says, he went out. Notice it says, in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out. Now, the the phrase he went out, well, particularly the word out. The word out means escape. And sometimes that's what we have to do. We have to escape the noise and the distractions of everything around us in order to have that quiet time with God. Jesus escaped from his house and the city and from everybody in his house to pray. And I don't mean that in a bad way, like, oh man, I got to get away from these people. No. And it says, you know what? In order for me to have this quiet time with the, my Father, I need to go out and I need to find a place where I can have that quiet time with my Father. Now, where did he go? It says he went, notice, to a solitary place. The word solitary means desert or wilderness. Now, it wasn't necessarily meaning he went to, uh, you know, uh, the desert or wilderness, but it means a desert-like or wilderness place where there was nothing around. Jesus' house, hey, it was a comfortable place compared to where he went out to pray. But if spiritual matters are going to take priority, are going to have a priority in our life, we're going to have to leave a lot of places of comfort. Jesus leaving his, leaving, Jesus leaving his home... And the city and his family and his friends to go to a solitary place says pretty clearly that Jesus wanted to go to a place where there wasn't going to be anybody. Where there'd be no people, no distractions. Where he could be alone with the Father to pray. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount exhorted men to pray privately in their closet. Your closet might be a quiet road, it might be the mountains, it could be a bedroom, it could be at the beach, you know, it could be in an office or a car, wherever it might be. But wherever it is, you need to find this solitary place to do quality praying, and you must go there often if you're going to be spiritually healthy. Now, we're not told what Jesus prayed for, but the word prayed itself means supplicate praise. So we can say for sure that Jesus's prayer was asking and praising, which includes thanksgiving. There's nothing wrong with asking. Jesus himself said, ask and it shall be given to you. But you know what? We should praise him as well. You know, when we just, when we come with to God with just the give me prayers, but without thanksgiving, it doesn't make for a good relationship. Jesus' prayers involved asking and praise. We saw that in the the model prayer. It began, began, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So it began with praise. And then further down in the prayer, Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. There's the asking. The word prayed is in the imperfect tense, picturing Jesus as praying through the, the early morning hours. Jesus spent a lot of time in prayer during his earthly ministry. And in Luke 6, 12, Luke says, Jesus prayed, I love this, Jesus prayed all night before choosing his disciples. Just reading that tells me, you know what? When it comes time to making important decisions in life, we need to spend a long time in prayer. Jesus was getting ready to choose 12 men that would turn the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. How important it would be to find the right men to do that. He spent all night in prayer to choose these 12 men. Even though the quality of our prayers, hey, it's not measured by how much time we spend in prayer. But you won't do much quality praying if you don't spend much time in praying. Look at verses 36 through 37 now. And then Simon, that is Peter, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Lord, everybody's looking for you. According to Luke 40, uh, sorry, according to Luke 4, 42, more than just the disciples were looking for Jesus that particular morning. It was most likely a big group also from Capernaum with the disciples that were looking for Jesus. And you see, Jesus before the day before, he had touched many lives the day before through his various contacts with the people that day. The words searched for him here, are translated from a word that means to hunt down they literally hunted Jesus down that day that they couldn't find him this means the group for that the group searching for Jesus searched very diligently and literally hunted him down until they found him wherever Jesus had gone it wasn't really a well-known place so the disciples and this group of people didn't know where he was so the people literally had to go on a hunt for him and they didn't stop looking for him until they found him. Luke tells us that they found Jesus uh, 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 when they found Jesus in Luke 6 42, it says that they tried to keep from him from leaving them. This means they held on to him so that he couldn't leave. In other words, they they, they tried to hinder him from leaving. So you see, it was a good thing that Jesus spent some some time alone in prayer before this happened because it would have been hard to overcome if he hadn't spent time alone with God. So why did the people want Jesus to stay? Why were they looking for Christ? Well, it's pretty easy to figure out. The day before, Jesus had healed a lot of people who were sick. He cast out demons. He met a lot of people's needs. They especially liked the things Jesus did because, you see, it brought a lot of physical and mental relief to them. And, of course, the miracles, man, those were amazing, amazing to see. So, you see, the people, for the most part, just wanted Jesus for carnal reasons. They weren't looking for Jesus to come and to teach them the wonderful word of God. Now, it's surely not wrong to seek Jesus for relief of physical problems. But when we seek him only for those things, when we seek him only for physical help but not spiritual help, we can be rebuked for that. See, Jesus came to preach the gospel. Luke four eighteen. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, notice, to preach the gospel. Not to entertain, not to be popular, not to, to heal and, and to do miracles, but to preach the gospel. He said, To the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And you do that through the preaching of the gospel. And then Jesus responded to what the people wanted. Notice what he says to the back of them in verse 38. But he said to them, those that were looking for him, they said, everybody's looking for you. Where you been? He said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come. Notice, notice the purpose for Christ's coming. Not for a beautiful Christmas story, not for a beautiful Easter story, not for anything but preaching the gospel. So they make a beautiful story. The preaching of the gospel makes those beautiful stories. He came to preach the gospel. Plain and simple. In what Jesus said, we find here a good lesson on the will of God. And Jesus, he says six important things here about his mission. And in these six things are six important truths about the will of God. This knowledge of God's will, that is, knowing God's will, cannot be separated from praying. We need to pray as we seek the will of God. Jesus spent a lot of time in prayer before Jesus said what he said in verse 38. If you spend serious time in prayer, you will have a good handle on the will of God. One man man said this, Prayer wonderfully clears the vision, steadies the nerve, defines duty, stiffens the purpose. The man who prays well will know the word of God well. The first important truth about God's will is the importance of God's will. The importance of God's will. In Luke 4, 43, it says, I must, I must. You see, Jesus had to do it. This is the purpose for which I came. Therefore, I must do it. He knew the will of God, so he knew he had to do it. What it comes down to is that the will of God is not an option for us Christians. The will of God is not an option. Nor is it a matter of should I or shouldn't I. The will of God is given to us here in the form of commands and not suggestions. It is a necessity for our life. So not doing the will of God is disobeying God. And what is the will of God? The word of God. His will is for us also to obey the word of God. And if I'm not obeying the word of God, I'm obeying him. Disobeying Him. The second important truth about God's will is the place that we are to perform God's will. Are you there? Are you in the place this morning where God wants you to be to serve Him? Because we tend to like to serve Him in other areas other than the place where He says, I want you to be. But Lord, it's nicer over there or it's better over there. Yeah, it might be, but this is where I want you. This is where I want you to be to serve my purposes. And so... The will of God, again, is given to us in the form of commands. So, I'm sorry, getting back to the the place where, where, you know, God wants us to be. He said that let us go into the next towns. Notice, the place where he wants to be, he said, let us go into the next towns. Capernaum wasn't the only place where Jesus was to minister. There were also other cities that he was to go to as well. And just because, and here's the thing, there there are places we'd rather be than than where God wants us to be. And so we'll leave that place and go to another place without God saying, you know what, that's where I want you to go. Just because maybe you're seeing fruit in one place and, and you're being effective in a certain place, that doesn't mean that you stay there or just the opposite. Let's say you're in a place that you're not seeing any fruit. Well, the automatic thinking is, well, you know what? There's no fruit here. I I should move on. But understand, prayer is what directs our move. And we see that example in Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 13 and 26 through 27. Let me read it to you. Philip went to Samaria and he preached Christ to them. Multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. They heard and they saw miracles that he did. He cast out demons of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame and were healed. And there was great joy in the city. So notice Philip is in a place where he is having a powerful effect uh, and having a fruitful ministry. You know, he's praying and he's preaching the gospel. Multitudes are being saved. Demons are being cast out. Many who are paralyzed and lame, they're healed. And there's great joy in this city. I mean, you think, man, God is doing a great work here. I I need to stay here. But then as we go on further, it says, There was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced, practiced sorcery in the city. And he astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great. To whom they all gave heed. From the least to the greatest, they said, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him, because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon, this man in particular, himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip, and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and he said, Arise and go toward the south along the road which, which goes down from Jer- Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. He was preaching and people were getting saved. Multitudes were being saved. The lame and and the paralyzed were walking and and demons were being cast out. And there was great joy in the city. And and this sorcerer, you know, he gets saved and he's believing. and, 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 And they're amazed at all the miracles. And all of a sudden, notice an angel of the Lord speaks to Philip and says, Philip, I want you to go to the south along this road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's desert. Lord, look at the fruit here. Look what's going on. And you want me to go down to the desert? But it says, So he arose and went, and he preached to an Ethiopian who got saved. Think about that. One man. He said, Philip, I want you to go down there. It's a desert place, and I want you to preach the gospel to this Ethiopian. He went in obedience. But you see the picture here? He was in a fruitful place of ministry. A lot of stuff was going on. But then God says, hey, I want you to leave here, and I want you to go down here and speak to this Ethiopian. And that Ethiopian, God say, and it's believed that this Ethiopian was the one who took the gospel to the African continent. You see, God knows what he's doing. I might think, what are you doing? Look at the fruit. Oh, wait a minute. There's a man that needs to be saved over here. It was the same thing with the woman at the well. He travels through, through Samaria just to preach the gospel to the woman at the well. And we need to, we, we can't try to figure out the mind of God. We just need to obey his, his infinite wisdom. When you spend a lot of time w- w- with God in prayer, it will keep you on his schedule. It will keep you in his will. You will need to be in the right place, just like Philip was When he met with the Ethiopian in spite of having a very fruitful harvest. The third important thing we see about the will of God is the purpose of his will. What did he say he was going to do in verse 38? I may preach there also. Preaching the gospel. Jesus had performed a lot of miracles the day before. And that's what the people were all excited about. But again, miracles don't save people. Miracles don't save people. The gospel of Jesus Christ saves people. Preaching was the priority for the will of God for Jesus. It's still the priority for the church today. And our churches need to remember this when it comes to our programs and activities. There are a lot of churches that like a lot of programs, a lot of activities, a lot of fun and games. We need to preach the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 11, 1, it says, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Luke 20, verse 1, Now it happened on one of those days that he, Jesus, taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel. Matthew 4.23, And Jesus went about Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 4.17, From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Notice, what was Jesus' ministry? Preaching the gospel. As we already found out in Luke 4.18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel. In order for us to give God acceptable service, we have to know what His will is. And we have to do it. We have to keep it. We have to know what God wants us to do. And many times, what God calls us to do may not be what the people want us to do, it may not be what I want to do. Again, we see the the, the example with Philip a great example. He arose and he went to the desert because God asked him to. But you will take joy in doing God's will if his word is written in your heart Psalm 48 verse 8 says that oh Lord I delight to do your will for your word of God is written in my heart if God's word is in your heart what won't you want to do what won't be a delight many times this happens in churches where where, where a pastor is called to preach but the people want him to do something else oh, we want more programs, we want more activities, we want more of this, we want more of that. We need to look at the honor that Jesus puts on the ministry of preaching. It's a ministry that Jesus took on himself. The simple fact that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, took on the ministry of a preacher should satisfy us that preaching is one of the most valuable ways of coming to know the grace of God. We had a beautiful example at at first service. We were preaching this message and a lady came forth at the end. Not because we were talking about miracles or activities. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what saves people. It's the most valuable ways of coming to know the grace of God. The fourth important thing about knowing the will of God is the invitation to join in his will. Notice what it says in verse 38 again. It said, Jesus said, let us go. We're all invited to preach the gospel. Mark brings out the fact that Jesus invited all of those who were seeking him to go with him to the other cities as he went to preach in these towns. Now, when he said, let us go, what he was saying to these people is that if you really want to be with me, If you really wanted to be with me so much that you sincerely sought me out, then go with me to to the other cities to preach. You see, Jesus wanted them to hear him preach. The fifth important thing in knowing the will of God is the work involved in his will. He said, again, he said, let us go. This also means let us be going and keep going emphasizing the length and the strenuousness of the intended preaching that he was going to do. The divine mission of our life isn't filled with playtime. It's filled with work. I mean, we're called servants, aren't we? What do servants do? We work. Here, once again, we're reminded that the will of God isn't child's play. It's hard work. And again, that's why so many turn away from the will of God or the work of God. Because they're not enthusiastic about putting, much out, putting out much energy into the work of God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, I will very gladly, notice, gladly spend and be spent for your souls. In other words, Paul was willing to take pains and to suffer loss for people's good. He would spend his time, his life, his strength, his interests, his all to serve them. He would give all. He'd be like a candle that burns itself out to give light to others. Perspiration isn't a people's liking who don't like to serve the Lord. But those who are sincere in prayer, they won't be turned off or turned away from the will of God just because it takes sincerity and it takes energy. The sixth sixth important thing to know about the will of God is the authority of God's will. Jesus said here, notice, for this purpose, at the end of verse 38, he says, for this purpose, I have been sent. Notice, I've been sent. I have the authority of God. He has sent me. So again, these verses show that Jesus has divine authority for his mission. This was truly the will of God. Jesus's orders were from God. That gives them top priority. The will of God should have top priority in our mission. In Mark one thirty-eight, again, it says, Jesus said, I have come forth. These words speaks of the incarnation. In other words, this speaks of the entire mission for Jesus coming to earth. Luke's gospel says in Luke 4, 43, Jesus said, I have been sent, speaking about his particular mission. Both are necessary. We need to know what our entire mission is, and we need to know our particular mission. We need to know our general calling, that is our general everyday duties. Spending a lot of time alone with God will help anybody to be sure about the will of God in both of those areas my entire mission and my particular mission. And it will help us to know both our general calling and the particular duties for every day within our calling. In closing, let's look at verse 39. And he, Jesus, was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. The man who prays, the man or woman who prays will stay on the straight and narrow road. Jesus wasn't just a talker. He didn't talk just to hear himself talk. Jesus also walked the walk, walked the talk. Jesus just didn't talk. He also did the walk. 1 John 2, 6 says, He who says he abides in Christ ought himself also to walk just as Christ walked. If we make that claim that we're a Christian and we're walking in Christ and we have faith in Christ, we better be walking the same walk. Jesus not only knew his Father's will, But he did it. He performed it. James tells us in James 1.22 to be doers of the word of God, not hearers only. Prayer helps us to keep us from being a hearer only. And the person who spends time with God won't only hear the word of God, but they will also do the will of God. Father, we thank you again for this wonderful lesson in the prayer life of our Lord. And Father, the lessons that we we learn, they're not just for head knowledge. They're not just for information but they're to be applied in our life they're to be done performed by us they're, these lessons are given to transform us we are called we are called servants bond servants even bond servants means a servant who was at the low, who was on the lowest rung of the slave ladder. A bondservant had no rights. He owned nothing. He had no say in anything. A bondservant was just a piece of property to his master. And that's all that we are to our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we should be. But the wonderful thing is, is we, don't, we don't serve a, a tyrannical master. We don't serve a, a, a brutal or cruel master. We serve a, serve a loving master, a kind master, a compassionate master. We should serve him with joy and thanksgiving, gladness, Maybe you're here this morning and and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's why life is that's why life is hard. That's why life is cruel many times and bitter and unsatisfying. Because you're serving the God of this world, Satan. And he is a cruel master, and he's a liar. And is a thief that robs you of all the good things in this life. Christ said, I came to give you life, and that life more abundant, eternal life. Ask yourself, am I living the abundant life this morning, or am I just existing from day to day? Living for the weekend, hoping. That what I'm looking for I'll find. But well, what you're looking for is here right now. The worship team's gonna lead us in a time of worship. And during this time of worship, this is this time is for you. To reflect upon what was said and your life and what's going through your heart right now. As we worship, if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you want to start serving a wonderful master, then as we worship, you get up out of your seat. You make your way down the aisle towards the steps up front. I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we will pray together a prayer of faith. Amen.